0: morning. If you'll take your Bibles out, please. We'll be there in Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at those three verses, verses 10 through 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. If you were to come out to my house and see the mailbox out front, I have one of those brick mailboxes out in the house. Right up near the top, there's a little plant that grows out of the bricks. It's, it's way up there. It's about this high off the ground. Whenever I see it, whenever it gets to a certain size, I, I, I pull it out. And usually it looks like it comes out by the root, but I must not be getting all of it because a few months later, here it comes again. And aside from taking apart the brick and the mortar and getting down in there to get that root, that little plant just keeps growing and growing in, in this very unfriendly place. There's a whole yard full of dirt, but it's growing in the, the brick of the mailbox. Some of you have seen pictures of of trees and plants that grow in some incredibly hostile places. I'm always shocked when you you go to some place. We were at Yellowstone and there's all this craggy rock and and as you're looking out, there's nothing growing for for yards and yards around in any direction. And then there's a tree. And it's just growing there and it's thriving. And you think, why why would that tree thrive in that hostile location? There's an old saying, about Christianity, Christianity doesn't grow in the shade. Why is it that when you look out in the world that sometimes Christianity thrives in the most hostile places? Why is it that the church grew and multiplied under the Roman Empire, who became you know, very anti-Christian under, under several of the emperors? How did it grow? How did it continue to thrive? In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus was doing, preaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about some things that bless our lives, that, that make us blessed, make us uh, content, make us to have a, a contentment that's beyond human understanding. They don't sound like good things. They don't sound like blessings. For example, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted. You'd you think that, that must be a misprint. That, that, he must have misspoken. How can we be blessed when we're persecuted? That word means to put to flight or to drive away and then it's kind of ironic because it can also mean to run swiftly to catch a person or thing. So if I drive you out of this building, I, I, I'm persecuting you. But if you run away from me in fear and I pursue you, I'm also persecuting you. You can almost hear the similarity in the words for our word pursue. To persecute. To go after. I want you to turn in your Bibles. You can hold your place there. But in Exodus chapter 14... When Pharaoh finally let the Israelites go, he decided to pursue them. And he decided to go after the Israelites and and bring them back. He changes his mind. And in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10, here he comes with the chariots, with all of his army. And in verse 10 of Exodus 14, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them And they feared greatly. Well, yeah. You're a nomadic people on the road with your women and children, and you're 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 walking along, and here comes the army of one of the most powerful leaders the world has ever known, and here they come, and you see the the dust kicking up, and the chariots and the horses, and you know that they're coming to pull you back into slavery. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, well, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? It's kind of a, we, we told you so, didn't we, we tell you? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, to these frightened, scared people, fear not. Stand firm because you are much better fighters than those Egyptians, and we'll take all their chariots. It's not what it says, not, is it? Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Not fear not, stand firm because you're so tough. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. They, they are going to lose. They're just not going to lose at your hand. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. You just stand there. This persecution, this, this pursuit that's coming after you, God will prevail. you know the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. So in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 26, it's not the Egyptians. It's Saul. It's Saul and the other Jews. And in Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, as Paul is describing the mindset that they had against the early church, he says in Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. In their, in their, so in their places of worship, Paul says, I punished them in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even... To foreign cities, Paul persecuted them where they were, and then he persecuted them with pursuit. He fulfilled both uh, definitions of that word. But if you turn back to the history of that time in Acts chapter eight, this is Paul recounting what happened. But if you look in Acts chapter eight, they've just put Stephen to death, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and chapter eight begins with, "And Saul approved of his execution." Good. Good, kill him. Paul held their coats. Paul stood by and, and watched their clothing while they killed him. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. Against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. A great dispersion, a great scattering, a great pursuit and driving away. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Boy, look at the poor church. It's being defeated. Look, as you're reading along, look, the church was going okay and the church was going great. And they were sharing and they had all things in common until chapter 8. And then it's all over. Right? The church ends in Acts 8 because there's a great persecution and and who can withstand a persecution? Look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They went about preaching the word. You know, we talk about mission work and about there, those who go and those who send, in a very bizarre way, the first senders of the first missionaries of the church was the persecution. The persecution sent all those people, but it was God's will that the word would spread, and the scattered preached, and God prevailed. Well, you know, if God can prevail in the persecution and the pursuit of the Egyptians and God can prevail in the persecution and the pursuit of Saul and the Jews, I wonder what God could do today during times of persecution. Do you think there's any consistency with God? Do you think God will continue to prevail no matter what? In our text in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom will not be stripped away because of persecution. And then verse 11, not just persecution, but blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Isn't the persecution enough? But now, as they're driving you away or persecuting you, there's also reviling. We don't use that word anymore. A lot of translations use the word insult. (coughs) Well, if you grew up around even your own buddies, you know what an insult is. Hey, it's very funny. My, my sister used to say, I don't get it. Why do men insult each other so much? You know? Why does a guy walk up and say, hey, ugly? You know, why, why do they throw insults around like that? Oh, it's a sign of affection. It's, these are not signs of affection. This kind of reviling is the insult that's meant to tear down. The word can mean deserved or undeserved. you know When you look at other uses of this word in the Bible, it's, it's what the Bible says the thieves did to, to Jesus. They reviled him. They insulted him. They hurled insults at him. Not only from his left and from his right, but also down in front of him where where his mother and and where John and, and some of the others were. The insults were coming from there as well. It says, and they hurled insults. They hurled abuse. They hurled words at him. And Jesus says, blessed are you when people do this to you. Isn't that crazy? You're blessed when people persecute you and you're blessed when people insult you. I don't I don't feel very blessed when people insult me I don't feel very blessed when people revile me but he says when it's done falsely on my account not when someone insults you for something foolish that you've done but when someone insults you on for the sake of righteousness for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account you know in the book of romans chapter 15 and verse 3 paul wrote to the church there and he said for christ did not please himself but as it is written the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me he took our reproach he took our reviling he took our insult all of the insults that should have landed on us landed on him instead the Bible says in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah that prophesies about Jesus. In verse 7 it says, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 22 he says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled... Do you know what the rest of that verse says? When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. Now what is our inclination? When someone insults us, what do you do? You you usually insult back. You usually fight back. You revile in return. I think sometimes about the, the verbal whipping that Jesus could have given people. Have you ever seen someone destroy someone else verbally? So, Sometimes you almost, even if you disagree with the person being destroyed, you almost just feel sorry for them. When the other person is running circles around them and destroying every argument they try to make, and, and, and the other person is stuttering and stumbling and, and they can't even answer, they're so outmatched. What could Jesus have done to Pilate? What could Jesus have done to those people who reviled him while he was hanging on the cross? What could Jesus have done to the thief? Instead of forgiving him and saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. What could he have done when they reviled him? While being reviled, he did not revile in return. The Bible says he kept entrusting his soul to God. You know, the Pope really stirred up some controversy earlier this week when they asked about the the, the attacks and the retaliation about the... uh, Islamic, the Islamic, the cover on the, the newspaper, and, and he said this, if my good friend Dr. Gasbari says a curse word against my mother, he can expect a punch. It's normal. You cannot provoke. You cannot insult the faith of others. You cannot make fun of the faith of others. Sure you can. <clears throat> happens all the time. It's been happening from the very beginning. There's never been this idea that Christianity can't take an insult. You know, one of the things that really doesn't come across well in the world is a thin-skinned Christian. Boy, once you show the world that you've got a thin skin, that you can't take an insult, that you can't take persecution, you have no strength behind you. The idea is, you know what? The Bible has this idea that the world, throw whatever you want to at us. Throw the Egyptian army at us. Throw the Jewish people at us. Throw your best guy Saul at us. You know what it's going to do to the church? You better be careful because you're probably going to make us grow. You better watch out what you poke. You poke the sleeping giant, you poke the bear. Because we may just grow. We may just end up converting you. We may win your children. So be careful what you do. Reminded me of that uh, those Filipino fishermen. I've mentioned them to you before. They were... Tired of all the starfish eating eating their catches and and destroying their fish. And so they, they chopped them all up on the dock. And when they were done, they scraped them all off into the water. Well, that'll show those starfish. Yeah. They multiplied. God never created the church to have an easy, casual life. Why would we need the church if we had an easy, casual life? You know what the church is for? So that as we go out there in the world and confront people with their sin and take the love of Christ and tell them, you don't have to live like this anymore. You don't have to be captive to your sin. You don't have to be hopeless. That not everybody's going to like that message. I've told you before, when people hear the Gospel, there's usually one of two results. They either get mad or they get saved. But for those who get angry, there will be persecution. And this idea of if you insult a man's face, you can expect him to punch you right back. Jesus said a couple of words about that, didn't He? A man strikes you on the cheek, strike him back. It's normal. It's expected. No. I'm glad we don't have to follow a man. I'm glad we can follow the Son of God who says when a man strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. You're bigger than that. You're better than that. You, you, you don't need to retaliate I will take care. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Right? Doesn't your Bible say that? I will take care of it. You be faithful. You continue on. You trust me. You trust me. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us that this persecution, this insult, if there's one thing about it, it's consistent. Rejoice and be glad, verse 12 says, for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Do you think there's anything new that's going to happen to the church that hasn't happened already? you think there's some new playbook? you think Satan has a new plan? You know, this, this persecution didn't work, and this persecution didn't work. Maybe this one will work. Well, you know what? It's not going to work either. The faithful will continue to be faithful. The church is an everlasting kingdom. Same thing happened. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. They will persecute you. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Can you imagine this? Oh, 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 what? what's this? What's going on? What? He said, don't, don't be surprised. This isn't something new. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Do you know in the NFL playoffs the other day, can't even remember which two teams, but one of the teams won by pulling off a couple of really good trick plays. Did did a couple of things, and and the other team was upset. And the quotes were kind of funny, and they're saying, the NFL needs to look into that team because those things aren't right. Those things are against the rules. And the winning team says, you need to go read your playbook. You need to go read the rule book. You need to go check it out for yourself. We didn't do anything wrong. I'm tell you this morning that Satan doesn't have any trick plays. He doesn't. He is what he's always been. He's always the deceiver and the liar. And we've talked about this before. He starts out with deception. He'll try to get you to believe that the truth is not the truth. Everything God says is true, Satan will try to get you to believe it's a lie. Everything that God says is a lie, Satan will try to get you to believe is true. But you know how we, we figure out that lie? We have His Word. So we know what's true and what's a lie. And if He can't deceive us, well, He'll try everything to distract us. Okay, don't look there. Look over here. Read this book by this person or or, or go watch this TV show or watch this movie or, or, or get your truth from somewhere else. Just don't look here. And if we get through that one, we say, no, I know this is the truth and I will not be distracted. Then He says, fine, then I'll divide you. I'll get you to pick at each other. I'll get you to get upset with each other. If I can't get you to turn away from the truth, I'll just get you to turn away from each other. I'll divide you with any or every little petty thing I can do to get you not to have unity. And if the church says, no, we won't fall for that. We're going to be bigger than that. We're going to do better than that. We're not going to let ourselves be divided. And then he plays his fourth card. Fine. Then I will just discourage you. Because if I can't get you to turn away from the truth and if I can't distract you and if I can't divide you, then I'll try to discourage you. It's my last play. If, if I can get you to give up, I don't care if you believe the truth as long as you don't live it. I don't care if you're, if you're not divided as long as I can get you to quit. So I'll try to discourage you and see if you can just stop. He's going to throw everything at the church He's got. Just like He threw everything at Jesus that He had. But it didn't work on Jesus and it's not going to work on the church. And Jesus always tells us through His Word, you need to consider the cost of being a Christian. What did you think you were getting into? What did you think this was? Was it a a, a club or a party or or, or just a support group? It's the church. It's the light in the darkness. It's the city set on a hill. It's the target for Satan's wrath. And it always will be. But it's also an unshakable kingdom. And the words of the Bible tell us from start to finish, that to Jesus Christ we were worth every single moment of suffering, every insult, every rejection, every loss. And Philippians tells us that even equality with God was not too much to give up for you. He did not regard regard equality with God as something to be grasped or held on to. But He emptied Himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. The Bible says He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. You are worth everything to Him. This morning I want to ask you, is He worth everything to you? Is it worth it? No no matter what, no matter what comes, no matter what insults, no matter what persecution, no no matter what anybody does or says or how you're treated or what kind of hostile environment you have to grow in. Is He worth it? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You know some people say okay well that's great you're saved. It's funny because James says you believe in God you do well. (laughs) Who else believes? Even the demons believe and tremble. So that's great if you don't believe in God you've got to have a starting point. You've got to believe in God to be in Christ. And it's great that you believe in God but so do the demons. But you know what they don't have They may believe, but they don't have obedient faith. Their faith doesn't lead them to do the right thing. That's why when Jesus came preaching in the book of Mark, He said, believe and repent. For the kingdom is at hand. There's an expectation that when you believe in God, it's going to affect you, that you're going to do something about it. And so in the book of Mark, in Mark 16, 16, Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And then there's the other side of the coin. He who does not believe will be condemned. So you have a choice to make. Which side are you going to be on? You know, this is crazy. There are believers among the lost and the saved. Just believing doesn't make you safe. The Bible says there were some who believed in Him but would not confess for for fear of being thrown out of the synagogue. They will not be saved. Jesus said, if you won't confess Me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. Have you ever thought of that? On the day of judgment, it will not be believers and non-believers. Because the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. How many believers will be gathered before the throne of God? Well, if you're using the word believer to mean people who believe in God, everyone. But if you use the word believer the way the New Testament uses it to mean a faithful follower of Christ, they'll all be together with the sheep. Where are you? Are you comfortable just believing? Or are you willing to step up to this and put that target on your chest and say, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be more than a believer. I'm going to be a faithful Christian, come what may. That's our cloud of witnesses that Hebrews tells us about. No matter what. No matter what happens to me, no matter what Satan throws in my path, no matter what God has for me to go through, I will be faithful unto death. The Bible says if we're faithful unto death, we shall receive a crown of righteousness. Are you ready to step up? Are you ready to put it all on the line for your eternity? If you need to respond, come now while we stand and sing.